It's another Monday and Greg Richard here, joined by, as usual, Scott Sharp. Scott Sharp, how are you? Very, very well. It's a uh, perfect day outside again. I can't believe how blue and lovely it is. It's an amazing day, isn't it? What do you got planned for us today, Scotty? Well, I thought we'd talk about uh, changing the colour of your hydrangeas. Always an interesting topic at this time of year when the hydrangeas are out. Uh, some Christmas colour, getting your uh, garden ready for the uh, festive season. Uh, ornamental grapes and uh, making them look really nice at the moment. And... Um, I took a French lover on over the weekend, so oh, right. it's nothing to do with plants. I thought we might, just, you know, we might just talk about it <laughs> later on. <laughs> We've got Ken. Hello. Hey, Ken. How can we help you, mate? Oh, look, I've got, um, <clears throat> pardon, I've got some petunias in, and uh, I was wondering if anyone knew how you could keep them from growing so rangy. They're 30 or 40 centimetres high, and then when the wind blows, it sort of breaks them off at the ground level. Uh, I've seen them in professional gardens where they're nice and lush, but I can't seem to get them to grow like that. Yeah, that, that's a bit odd. Are they in a slightly shady spot, mate? Or uh... Yeah, just they don't get full sun all day. They get it morning and then afternoon, but midday they get shaded out. Yeah, that, that, that could be a problem with them. Uh, petunias really do like to be out in the uh, in the full sun. Have you got them in a pot or in the ground as well? No, they're in the ground yeah, and okay. they're flowering and they're, yeah. they're healthy, but they're just growing so tall. I mean, the great thing about petunias, petunias is you can actually give them a, a cutback and give them a prune and they'll reflower and, and reshoot for you and sort of thicken up a little bit. But yeah. I think it's probably going to be the problem for you. They're, what they're doing, they're reaching up for the sun. You know, they, they want the sunlight. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, all plants will do that. It's called phototropism or tropism. Uh, everything will reach for the sun, and you can get weird and wonderful shapes out of your plants, but that's that's why yours are sort of stretching out like that uh, for the sun. I'd give them a little cutback just to try and thicken them up a little bit uh, uh, yeah. and just keep on fertilising them as normal, and hopefully it works out for you. Trouble is, if I cut them back, I'll lose all my flowers at the moment. Well, they're, yeah, they're unfor unfortunately you will, and, uh, you know, coming up to Christmas, obviously you want them at the moment, uh, mm. so you probably could give them a light cut back and, and see what happens. Uh, you know, most things, we've still got, uh, I think uh, Greg and I were just counting up the calendar then, and just to the end of the year, and yeah, he was looking at the Gregorian calendar, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it, uh, I think you've still got about uh, three or four weeks to go, so you still might get some spot flowering coming coming back on your petunias, even if okay. you gave them a light cutback. And blood and bone would be all right for them. Yeah, blood and bone's a really good safe fertilizer to use on pretty much anything, including natives. Uh, if you want to really improve that flowering, though, you're best to use a flourish or you know just straight old potash to get that okay. flowering going for you. <laughs> I was All waiting right. for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay, not a problem, Ken. Have a good day. I was waiting for potash. It was, it was uh, a very tip of your tongue. It's like the elephant in the in the room, isn't it? It just, just <laughs> comes on out whenever, you know, you hear this roar of its trumpet and then out comes the potash. But it is, it's really good for the flowering of plants. And fruit? Well, that improves, yeah. Obviously, the flower turns into the fruit and... Um, you, um, you think I'd learn that by now, wouldn't oh, you? you were, when I said obviously, <laughs> then all this blank look came across your face and I went, I shouldn't have said that, should I? <laughs> It is Gardening Talk back on 2 and URFM. If you do have any questions for Scott Sharp, give us a call on 49216216. Now, Scott, you mentioned something earlier about changing colours of hydrangeas. Yes, yeah, you can change. And it's a hot topic at the moment because uh, people are buying their hydrangeas and they always want to... Uh want to change the colour of their of their flowers and they think they're going to stay the same. There is one um, colour hydrangea that will stay the same and that's the white. But before we get to that, yep. I've always liked the idea of this and um, it's called synesthesia. This is really complex. It, 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 people have this and I was wondering how you perceive certain things. So some people see different colours. Uh, they see like numbers or letters and they have different colours that they 
Oh, right. Yeah, and that's actually, and I, and I was thinking about how do we perceive colours? You know, is the sky blue for everyone? Is, you know, that plant flower pink yep. for everyone? And I'd hate the sky's blue for everyone. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, synesthesia, it's a really odd sort of thing where people have this, where they see different colours, to you know, relating to different letters and things. And it just made me think about that, changing the colours of hydrangeas. Uh, so, yes, you can do it. Uh, so if you've got a pink hydrangea, you can turn it blue uh, by making the soil slightly more acidic. It has to be probably the most acidic. You need a pH of about 5.5 or lower. Uh, if you want your hydrangea pink, you have to have a neutral to alkaline um, pH in your soil, which is 6.5 or higher, not much higher, obviously, otherwise it becomes far too alkaline. And if you want that purple sort of colour, you've got to get in that in-between range of about 5.5 to 6.5. So that's when... This is all sounding very technical. Yeah, that's when blue starts to turn to purple and we're great at colors here yeah yep. but it, it's not it's really not that difficult really what you're doing is you'd add some sulfur uh, to the soil to make it more acidic or you'd add some lime to the soil to make it more alkaline uh if you're a dummy like you know me me uh, <laughs> i was going to offend you then you can actually just go to the uh, you know your garden center and you can get hydrangea bluer or hydrangea right. pinker and it's just got blue or pink on the packet so you can go oh i want it to be that color and you can just add that it doesn't happen straight away of course yep. that's called spray paint i was going to say yeah. that option b is <laughs> painting them it's painting them so you can't do that but over time if you start using it next year you'll have blue hydrangeas if you want or next year you'll have pink hydrangeas if you want if you've got white ones next year you're going to have white hydrangeas it's not going to change for you very good it is gardening talk back on two and you are fm we've got rachel from toronto and Got something about a question about a plant we talked about last week. Oh. Yes, that's right. Rachel, so long ago, how is my memory going to cast back <laughs> that far? I'm hoping it's very, very sharp. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a plant that was uh, apparently hardy all weather, uh, didn't grow too big, and was potable. And we had a name something like Oriental Pearl. Oh, what, what am I doing here? You've got a, you've just got the hole in one then, Rachel. It is uh, Oriental Pearl. It's a type of uh, Indian hawthorn. Oh, lovely. Uh, yeah, uh, raffia leaf, as some people call it. That's the botanical name. Um, but yeah, Oriental Pearl is the particular variety, and it is a fantastic plant. It doesn't get as big as other Indian hawthorn, so it's really suitable for pots that uh, can dry out and will take frost and salt and wind and, I don't know, semi-trailer driving over it, something oh, like okay. that. It's a really, <laughs> it's a really, really tough plant. So. Sounds just like what my garden needs. Yeah, I'm and not much of a gardener. So you can put it on your, you know, people in the apartments. They can have it up on, you know, uh, western-facing balconies with the wind and the and the sun beating down on them, and uh, they'll do really well for you. Oh, that's terrific! Oh, that's wonderful! Thanks for your help. Okay, thank you, Rachel. Thank I didn't you. didn't have to be as sharp as I thought I was going to be then. Uh, she was pretty much all over it. Oh, she was, wasn't she? <laughs> Very good. Here's gardening talk back, and we've got Helen from East Maitlands. How can we help you, Helen? I'd like to know when to feed the groomer vine. Yeah, so you look, you feed it uh, with uh, an all-purpose fertilizer. You can probably use cow manure as well on your on your grammar. Uh, obviously, you'd wait till it's you know you've, if you've planted the seed till it's out and shooting away, and that's when you'd start using uh, products like cow manure. Uh, when you've got it as the seed or just as a small seedling, you'd use a liquid fertilizer like Flourish on it just to give it a good old get go. Uh, the main thing with uh, your grammar is it's going to run and you know get, take over. You don't want to to have a lot of poultry manure or a lot of you know grass clippings in in that area because you'll just get a lot of green leafy growth and you want it to actually flower so you get those uh, those beautiful sort of grammar 
things to make the uh, the grammar pie out That's of. That's what I was thinking of. Yes, I knew you. I've never had one before. I, I remember my grandmother making it back in the day. Um, I couldn't say I was a big fan. How, how do you make yours, Helen? Yours nice and tasty? I uh, cook it up, drain it for two or three days, and then put it into a pie. Okay. Do you have to, sweet, do you have to sweeten them at all? Because I remember it being yeah, quite tart. I, mm. I put lemon and sugar to taste. Ah, okay, okay. I'm probably not going to make one myself at home. I just have sort of weird memories of being a kid over in Mayfield and being forced to eat grandma pie and that sort of stuff. And, uh... and we've got Ed from Toronto. You've got some problems with your tomatoes, Ed? Indeed, I have, Scott. Um, I planted them all early September and they have done very, very well. They're about two metres high, full of fruit, look extremely good. I can't believe how well they're doing, except the plants are starting to turn yellow. Mm. Very pretty yellow, but um, what are they lacking? Mate, have they also got a funny sort of grey colour um, through the leaves? No, no, they. it's just starting from the bottom up virtually. The plant itself is just starting to turn. I haven't noticed any grey, but uh, just a little bit of yellow. Well, a fair bit of yellow. It, it says to me there's something amiss. They were doing so well for so long. Now, the trouble with tomatoes, they can get wilt, and uh, that sort of starts to manifest itself the way you're describing there, where you start to get that yellowing. Uh, and that's why I asked about the grey. All of a sudden, you start to see a funny sort of grey, almost veins or shade to the leaves as well. Right. If, if there is grey there... Mm-hmm. What's the problem? Well, uh, with wilt, uh, it, it can be quite difficult to treat. You can try and, and, and treat it with a fungicide. Uh, often, uh, you know, the, the, the remedy, unfortunately, is to pull them out. But if you've got your tomato oh. to this stage, you might as well sort of power on and, and see how you go with them uh, to try and at least get that fruit going. It also could just be the weird and wonderful weather we've had. You know, we've had some very, very hot days as well. Yep. They could yep. just be drying them out and they're just getting a little bit stressed and that's how they're, they're showing themselves. Because once the plant gets to that that full size that's obviously when it's going to get uh, you know really stressed by that uh, that sort of weather we've had those extreme you know 38 39 degree days yep, yep. and and the very hot dry winds with the low humidity that we've had that's that's when the plants will get stressed you will just start to see yellowing of the leaves so it's not necessarily a chemical deficiency or anything like that? I, I, I wouldn't think so. If you've got your plants up to that stage, just keep yep. on using a liquid fertiliser with them uh, just to keep them sort of topped up, I guess, is the best way to think about yep. it so that they don't drain the uh, the soil out too much and make sure they're being well and consistently watered. Uh, that's also the main thing with tomatoes, that stage when they're setting the fruit. You don't want them to split or, uh, you know, get that the, the fruit to burst on you. And to do that, you just make sure that the watering is consistent with them. It's, you know, it's if they get, you know, dry, dry conditions and they dry out and then all of a sudden they get this big burst of water and they soak up all of that and then it actually goes to the fruit and bursts out. So it's best that they get consist, <laughs> consistent watering. And, and you soak close you know you're about to sort of nose across the line you don't want to destroy it now so just make sure consistent watering uh some liquid fertilizer and uh, fingers crossed and hopefully you get some nice tasty tomatoes to use in your bolognese or uh, on your uh, tomato sandwich indeed okay thank you very much okay for that. thanks for the call Ed. no worries ed we've got jan now from macquarie about grevilleas how yeah. can we help you with those grevilleas jan hello um i just wanted to ask you the sun's got grevilleas in uh, and they're in clay soil. Oh, yes. And um, one's grown to about four foot, and it, after all that rain, it just turned up its toes. Yep. And another one's, oh, a good six foot, and it's 
looking like it's going to do the same. There's others in the same, uh, like, plot things, but they're doing all right. And the banks here just keep curled up his toes. How did they go in clay soil? Yeah, not not very well. And that, you, you've pretty much hit the nail on the head there with the clay soil. They do like that opened, uh, you know, well-drained soil. They don't like having, you know, a boggy root system. So once you get that, you know, they might survive in, uh, you know, if it's dry in the, in the clay sort of area. But as soon as you get that big flood of rain, I guess it almost just fills a little pool up around the root system of the plant. And it's just oh, right. sitting in there having a bit of a swim that it didn't really want to have uh, and you know it's like if we sit in the bath for too long we go all you know wrinkly oh, yeah. and, and pruney yeah. and it's not a very nice sight and uh, that's pretty much what happens to the grevillea it just you know there's too much water there it can't soak it up and uh, they haven't got a very big deep root system either grevillea they're quite a shallow root system so oh, yeah right. so the only thing your son can really do is if he wants to continue with the grevilleas and you know it's well worth persisting is just to dig out as big a hole as possible uh, try and get some uh, you know better soil into that area and, and uh, some gypsum as well. You can also use liquid clay breakers, which work quite well, and uh, just try and break that uh, soil up. Actually, you know, using a little bit of elbow grease works quite well, and getting that gypsum down into the soil can create a, a bigger area for the root system to, to spread oh, out yeah, to. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, look, unfortunately, once a grevillea starts to turn its tail um, like that okay. and, you know, curl up, it's, it's pretty much it. You might as well get it out and you know, put a bit of effort into the into your hole and, uh, you know, dig it out, get that gypsum in some liquid clay breaker and see how you go. We're trying a new one. Good. Okay. Thank you, Thank Thank you Jan. You. Sorry Bye. to be the bearer of bad tidings. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It is Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM 103.7. Any questions for Scott Sharp, give us a call on 49216216. We go to Brankston with Ken. How can we help you, Ken? Scott, um, I have um, a lawn... Um, and surrounded by gum trees, mm-hmm. eucalypts, and uh, in the recent hot, windy weather, we've um, you know the lawn gets covered in, in eucalypt leaves. Yes. And I have a mulching mower, and you know I just run over the leaves and mulch it all up. You know I've heard in the past that eucalypt leaves used as a mulch often you know, cure plants when you use them, use it in the garden. And I was wondering if um, would be a similar case using the um, you know, having the um, eucalypt leaves mulched into the lawn. Yeah, look, I, I, this is a pretty unusual situation. I haven't heard of it. Um, I've heard of eucalypt leaves all over, you know, gardens and things, but over your lawn, uh, I reckon once or twice is going to be okay. You're probably not going to see any, you know, real difference there. But, uh, you know, if you continue to do that, uh, I think you're going to slowly acidify the soil and you are going to poison the soil and that grass isn't going to be real happy at all i reckon so it might be worth getting the old rake out um you know i don't know how big your lawn is if you're in brankston you've probably got a couple of acres maybe (laughs) Uh, but unfortunately that's probably what you're going to have to do and try and you know rake up the worst of even get one of those leaf blowers maybe and sort of try and blow them blow them into the corner and uh, go from there because you know once or twice yeah not a problem but uh, you know if you've got the trees there continually and you're mulching and breaking it back down it's slowly going to acidify the soil and I, i don't think your grass is going to be real happy about that after time Okay, sorry to uh, be the bearer of bad tidings <laughs> again, Ken. Let's see if I can give, give some happiness now. And we've got Connie from Western. Hello. Hello, Connie. How can we help you? Well, I hope you can help me. I have a watermelon plant. Yes. That's done quite well. It's just getting a couple of extra shoots. But I was told by uh, a keen gardener that you weren't to water it, and I find that a little bit hard to believe. 
Can you help me? I, I think you, watering watermelons is very much like tomatoes. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that they're getting consistent watering. You don't want them to be drying out, drying out, and then all of a sudden get a big burst of rain, and then, you know, they dry out for another three or four days, especially the heat that we've got at the moment. I mean, the plant's just going to curl up, and I don't think you get a very, very juicy watermelon. And, you know, after all, that's the whole reason for cutting in, into them, isn't it? So you get that sort of that burst of watery, you know, sugary sort of goodness that comes out of them. So I think consistent watering uh, is the way to go just to you know regular you know every day just give them a small drink so that they don't dry out and you don't get splitting in the in the melon and you get you know lots and lots of juice inside there now that sounds like it's common sense hey well without watering especially in western i thought my goodness they would uh, it won't survive so i've been sneakingly watering the plant but now I know it's okay to do it, so that's great. Thank you, Scott. For uh, thank you, there. Connie. We're, we're, we're a font of common sense here, Greg and I. <laughs> I agree. Thank you once again. Thank you. No worries, Scott. Yeah. I'm just imagining Connie now just going out at night time with a little water bucket just secretly watering secretly, the Secretly, yeah. I wonder if she like wore a mask or something like that so no one recognised her. <laughs> We've got Sue now from Tanilba Bay and another question about grevilleas. How can we help you, Sue? Hello, Scott. Um... Scott, we um, moved out to Tanelva Bay about six uh, months ago and we did put down a whole lot of cypress pine fines mulch mm -hmm. and we put a lot of uh, new natives in and amongst them were about half a dozen grevilleas and we've lost practically all of them and the three that, that are hanging on have sort of got half dead leaves and half looking okay and still flowering. Um, and, uh, I mean, we have this also the problem around the garden of stinkhorn fungi coming up. Oh, you've got that one again, have you? Now, well, how, how old was the, uh, the mulch that you put down? Was it something that had only been recently mulched up or was it a little bit aged? It was aged, but I'm wondering if it was what was already there underneath which was very thin but it was more bark chip yes that should be all right with grevilleas and of course they're in you know up in tanilba bay you can't get much more sandy than that so they're pretty much in the in the right spot uh you know obviously we were talking to jan uh, from macquarie hills before about the grevilleas and they don't like being in clay soils and wet feet so it sounds <laughs> like you know that that they're in the right soil up there for you uh, at tanilba bay i'd probably think that what's going to have happened is that uh you know you've had that uh, that mulch put down and it's probably burnt the plants and they're just not very happy with it it might be best to try and scrape that away from away from the area of the plant uh, yeah. You know, just give it some space around there. Uh, make sure they're being well watered. Uh, of course, you mentioned that, uh, the, you know, they're, they're still flowering and they're just still trying to reproduce so that they probably know they're in strife. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're trying to reproduce so that, you know, they can continue their, their bloodline on. And uh, that, that's why they're doing that. So it's uh, probably worth, you know, scraping that mulch away. Just keep on uh, watering as normal. Make sure they're well watered and, and just see what happens with them. Much? We've heard about it a couple of times here on the show. I've only ever seen it once myself. Uh, and we had a very interesting caller. Remember the the, uh, the person rang up? She was uh, doing a PhD on fungus oh, and yes, truffles right. and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that was really interesting when she called up and talked to us about that. Uh, and look, uh, I, I believe if you use a, a copper spray like copperoxychloride and drench the soil around that area, you'll actually get rid of uh, that, that fungus for you. 
Oh, I hope so, because, oh, it's awful. It smells like rotting flesh and oh. brings flies. Oh, that, that doesn't sound too flash at all, does it? I remember the man that, that called up about it. He, he wasn't too happy about it being in his garden either because of that uh, disgusting smell that it has. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's awful. But the lady that... Yeah, coproxy chloride. But the lady that rang up about the pH, with the pH, she's doing the pH, and yeah. she loved the smell of it almost, didn't she? She, thought, oh, she was oh, very passionate about it. She was it. very passionate <laughs> about it, yeah. Well, that's what it seems like. I mean, it's not harmful in the, then that it's doing the right thing to the soil and breaking down whatever it's trying to break down. Yes, <laughs> if, if only it'd lure the flies in there and, you know, kill them in some way. Oh, dear me. <laughs> Uh, we, anyway. don't, we, we don't know what flies are down here. I was up in Tamworth a couple of weekends ago, and I can tell you they've got some flies up there. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, thank you very much for that. Okay, thank you, Sue. No worries, Sue. It is Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM 103.7. If you do have any questions for Scott Sharp, give us a call on 49216216. We were talking about this earlier, Scott. Passion fruit. been wondering when we're going to get a question about passion fruit. Oh. We've got Tom from a Glen, or Werner from Glendale. How are you, Werner? Yes, mate. We've had it. We haven't had many people calling up about passion fruit lately, so um, we're glad you've called up. How can we help you? Well, I recently returned from overseas, right? Yes. I was away for ten weeks. Now, apparently, when I was away, the weather was quite kind to the uh, passion fruit mm-hmm. and all that, and I did fertilise it. I fertilise it twice a year. I have so many flowers. Uh, but no bees. Right. So you go, you are going to need the bees to uh, pollinate the the the, uh, the passion fruit. Uh, look, there's not really too much you can do about that. I guess the only thing you can do is make sure you're not using you know chemicals in your garden, insecticides, uh, and and. And just and just try and, and promote as you know as many flowering plants as you can uh, in in the garden. Grevilleas, like the uh, other lady was talking about before, they do really well promote getting bees in there. But if you've got uh, you know passion fruit and it's full of flower, then there's really no reason why the bees um, shouldn't be coming. It might just be that there's just not many around in your uh, area, unfortunately. Yeah, well, on the top of the hill here at Glendale, just off Reservoir Road. Yep. And um, years ago, I was told have sex with them you get a cotton bud yes and you go around and touch each one yes but that doesn't seem to be doing anything. Uh, well, I, I had a, another bloke uh, come into work about uh, three weeks ago, and he um, he was finding the same problem. He had a passion fruit in a um, in a sort of a, a courtyard garden, and he couldn't get uh, the flowers to pollinate either because he just didn't think there were uh, you know any bees around. And he did the same thing. He actually was going around hand <laughs> pollinating each passion fruit flower. He's pretty keen on his passion fruit, obviously pretty keen, Very on, keen. on his pavlova as well. Uh, and so, yeah, he was going around and hand pollinating. And I guess, the, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's sort of what it gets down to. If there's no bees in the area, then, um, yeah, there's not I much. I wore gloves. I'm pretty sure he did. Very good. Yeah. Thanks for that, Werner. It is Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. We've got Jenny on from Swansea. Jenny, how can we help you? Oh, hi, Scott. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, a gentleman rang up and asked you about ant problems. Yes. I have ant problems in my pot plants and my gardens. 
very badly. Yes. And you mentioned a pesticide that was safe to put in a watering can and put through. It's not usually used for ants. No, that's correct. You... It's called penicide, and most people use it for army grub or uh, you know black beetle and things like that. It's got a it got a chemical in it called diazinon, but you just okay. need to ask for penicide. And yes, you can just mix that up and water it through plants or over some pavers, and it works really, really well on ants. Okay, and it's safe to use like with roses, round roses and things? Absolutely. It's an insecticide. It's not going to have any effect on, on your plant like that in, in any way whatsoever. Okay, can you spell that for me, Yeah, penicide, P-E-N-N-S-I-D-E. Fabulous. My kid, my kids don't like me very much. They ask, I sort of, if they ask me to spell the word, I sort of imagined it up in front of me, and I can look at it and spell it. And uh, so I you put your hand up in the air. And I, pretend I really annoy my kids when I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for that. Okay. I've been trying to get the name of that for ages and I, I thought I'm trying to get through. So that was great. Thank you very much. Not a problem. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. All right, Bye. Jenny, here's a gardening talk back on 2 and you are FM 103.7. If you have any questions for Scott Sharp, give us a call on 49216216. Now, Scott, you mentioned something earlier about grapes. Yes. Fake grapes? Fake grapes. Fake grapes? No, not real grapes? Ornamental, or ornamental, ornamental grapes. grapes. Yes, well, not, fake grapes. Not plastic grapes. They, you can use them as a fantastic cover over pergolas or along a fence. Uh, grapes here in Newcastle seem to suffer a little bit from the humidity. I mean, yeah, I go up to the valley up around Cessnock and all of a sudden they're, you know, they're doing pretty well up there apparently, um, as uh, we probably know as we uh, crack open the cork every now and again. And But uh, grapes down here, they seem to suffer a little bit from the humidity and ornamental grapes do just that little bit better coping with it. So if you need a plant to uh, to cover your pergola or run along a fence, and, and the, the beautiful thing about grapes as well is that they, in winter they lose their leaves. So you get this, you know, this Big difference. Line. Yeah, this contrast. You get this sort of skeletal, uh, you know, covering of the fence or over your pergola and it lets more light in and it looks it can look really, really beautiful. But then as soon as spring comes along, bang, they just go off and you've got this fantastic lush sort of green, uh, you know, covering over your pergola or fence and it makes you think like you're, uh, you know, in a Mediterranean country. <laughs> but you can't eat the grapes. No, they only have these funny, tiny little half sort of grapes on Oh, okay. They're not, you know, tender and juicy or anything. You can't make wine out of them. They're more just for a cup. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is gardening talk back on two and you are FM, and we've got Marie from Swansea about fertilisers. Yes. Hi. Um, I'm just, I just wanted to ask. I've got. I've put in some metrosideros. Yes. Which are New Zealand natives. They are. I I have some Australian native plant food. And I was wondering if it would be suitable for them. Yes, definitely. I, I love it when we get New Zealand people coming to work sometimes and they call them something completely different. Uh, we call uh, them New Zealand <laughs> Christmas bush and they call them putakari yeah. or yeah, some sort of uh, weird name. And uh, It's probably the native name, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, th I think there are a couple of them saying that uh, when they were getting out yesterday with the old pink ball. I think that's what they were saying <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm not much of a lip reader, but I, I'm pretty sure Brendan McCullum had that to say. Uh, yeah. yeah, look, so you can use native plant fertilisers very, very safely on uh, those New Zealand natives as well. Oh, good, because I've, I've got some, but I don't have any Australian natives anymore. So I thought I might be able to use them on that. Okay. Okay, not a problem. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. So we've got Elizabeth from Adora Creek. You've got some spots on your roses. Yes, I do. And there was a lady on about three weeks ago, 
that said that something and I was on the road and I couldn't write it down. Yes, black spots are pretty uh, prevalent thing in Newcastle with the humidity. Uh, you know, you get up in the valley and all of a sudden, you know, it's not so bad. You don't get black spots so bad, but it is something you have to be very, very persistent about. There's a number of chemicals uh, that you can get uh, on the market. Triferene is probably the most popular one to use. Triferene. Uh, but again, you just have to be persistent with it. You can also use other fungicides like Mancozet Plus or Copper Oxychloride. What I would actually recommend is to have a couple of them sitting in the shed and alternate them so that the fungus doesn't get used uh, used to uh, one of particular chemicals. So just every you know week, just change it about and uh, and see how you go. Keep it under control. You won't keep it under control um, perfectly here in Newcastle, but uh, you'll minimise it. Well, I realise that with the um, humidity, but yeah. I also have a passion brood. Yes. And I also have water rats here on Dora Creek, and I also have um, uh, possums. Mm-hmm. How can I pick those off before they're completely ripe? Will uh, they ripen up? Yeah, look, there's, there's not much you can do about that. I mean, you could try and net it, but uh, I'll guarantee that those rats are going to be far more cunning than that. Um, that's why they're called... It's called rat cunning, I think. <laughs> I think so, And uh, they'll get through, you know, almost. I saw some uh, information once about the size holes that rats and mice can get through, like the size of a 20-cent piece. A rat really? can squeeze itself through that, yeah. Really, really small apertures they can get themselves through. Uh, so, uh, unfortunately, that's just something. Uh, I'd buy a cat and chain it up in the area. That'd be a good idea, say, but yeah. I can pick them before they're completely ripe. Yes, you can, but uh, try and keep, then keep them in a sunny spot and see what happens. They won't ripen up as well, but um, yeah, just give it a try. Yes, because I've got a lot this year. Okay, and of course <laughs> we don't we don't much. advocate chaining cats up near passion fruit trees. <laughs> right, thank you very much. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> thank you. You have a nice day. You too, Elizabeth. Bye. Cheers. We've got Patricia now from Ferna Bay. Patricia, how can we help you? Oh, good. hello, Scott. Uh, look, my husband wants to know the recipe for the pineapple juice for the tomatoes. Now, apparently, it was the the old golden tin of golden circle pineapple juice, and right. from memory, it was just a squirt of dishwashing liquid. Now, Greg and I looked at ourselves, well, looked at each other actually a little bit strangely because he always looks at me strangely anyway, <laughs> and uh, we were wondering why that would actually work. Uh, see, I, I thought I, that it was water with the pineapple. Yeah, juice. and I'm pretty sure that it was equal parts water as well, just to sort of break it down, and then the squirt of the uh, of the uh, the dishwashing liquid and that was just i guess to make it sticky i mean I, for right. my for my money i've never tried this people have you know been saying it works for my money i'd be wanting to add some malathon or some sort of insecticide in there but give it a right. try without it and see what happens well uh, he's had tomatoes growing and mm. um the, the grubs just got into them he's been spraying with them a base that he had still had and that <laughs> we still had the grubs and the things so they're out now and i've got the all the little tomatoes green yeah. ripening in a brown paper bag and they're fine but it, it might just be a you know a taste that the, the grubs don't like or you know it's yeah, slightly yeah. slimy or something i can't understand you like, know i can't always work. grown tomatoes but this year they've been no good at all yeah i, I can't say it's going to kill anything but it, it may no, just it work might be a bit of a deterrent yeah I'd work as a preventative mm-hmm. so yeah yes. give, give that one a try okay thanks Scott. okay thanks Bye. patricia now is this guarding talk back on to when you are in fact i think we've got time for maybe one more caller scott let's go for it We've got Sylvia from Bonnells Bay. How can we help you, Sylvia? Um, I have my, my 
orchids. Yes. And I can't get them to reflower. We might get you to turn your radio off too, if that's all right, Sylvia. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That's I'm all right, sorry. Sylvia. Fantastic. Now, Sylvia, moth orchids are really, really, really easy to look after. Um, what you actually do is once they've finished flowering, you cut the uh, flowering stem. You'll notice on there there's like a funny little internode and you cut it down, usually just above the second one from the base and it will reshoot from there. Oh, that's what I've done. I've cut it right down. Yeah, so it, you always just leave a little bit of that flower and uh, it, it will reshoot from there. However, don't give up because I've had two at my house now for about three or four years. And look, I know nothing about gardening or plants, but somehow I've managed to keep mine flowering over like a new flower spikes for uh, for three or four years now. I've just got them in the perfect place. Uh, sometimes the cat will sleep on them, uh, but you know they just seem to be, apart from that, they seem to be in a really good spot where they get warmth during winter and sunlight and then they just get dappled sunlight in, in summer and they're inside and they do really, really well. I've had them flowering for yonks, absolute yeah, yonks. I've cut them right down. That doesn't matter. Still keep on watering them and you'll get a new you'll get a new flower spike coming back out of there. It won't be uh, coming back until probably uh, April again. So, you know, don't give up on it. Uh, persist with it and you will get a new flower out of that. Make sure it's getting, a, you know, a little bit of fertiliser as well and it should do quite well for you. Thank you very much for your help. Not a problem, Sylvia. Bye. This is Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. Scott, we're almost out of time. Is there anything you'd like to mention before we step on out? Uh, leaf, you step on out? Yeah, leaf miners starting to come back. Uh, we had some people in it over the weekend, so get in early. When you see that new growth on your citrus, the uh, citrus leaf miner will pretty much the moths come and lay their eggs and the little weevils, off they go. Uh, so use eco oil for that and be persistent. Oh, very good. Well, we think we've got time for one more caller, Scott. Oh. So we've got Heather from Abermain. Got some problems with some snails. Yeah, I was just wondering what I just. I don't want to use it. I've had a, I had a dog once that that was poisoned by um, mouse baits, and mm-hmm. I'm really scared about like poisons and, and that. I was wondering if there's anything natural I can do for snails. Yeah, I've got it... millions of them, and I just. I don't want to put baits around because I've got a little bait. Oh, look, there's a baby and a, a cat and dog. Yeah, yeah. Look, that that is difficult. You can get uh, some snail uh, pellets now that are safe-ish for animals. Just there's more iron in them than anything, and the snails uh, obviously don't like the iron. I always say the best thing to do is make up some sort of trap, you know, like an old ice cream container. Cut your little snail holes in it and get something hefty and stick it on top like a brick or stake it down in some way. The snails will go in there and they'll feed off there and you pet shouldn't be able to get in there uh, otherwise uh, blue tongue lizards um, love it but they probably don't love your dog so you could chain a blue tongue lizard or your dogs don't love the blue tongue lizard yes that's that's true so you could chain the blue tongue lizard uh, up and they would eat the snails but of course we don't advocate chaining up blue, blue tongue, tongue lizards, lizards. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah if you're getting you know those the, the blue tongues do love them uh, but the only other way is to make up a safe sort of uh, sort of bait house and uh, make sure that it's really secure so your animals can't uh, disturb that and get in there. I think my well, Just leave to... a little bit of room so the snails can crawl yeah, in. Yeah, just, just cut a little sort of snail portal in there and they'll go off into a completely different dimension. Okay, then. Thank you. <laughs> That's all right. Thank you, Heather. Bye. No worries. So I think my pop used to put sticky tape upside down and put that around his plants. That sounds really, really cruel, mate. And very, he, how much time did he have? A lot of time. A lot of time. What happened when he walked on there? Did he get stuck as well and have to call out? Great, yeah, yes. come and save me. <laughs> used to rope him back in. <laughs> but yeah, that's what he, I think that's pretty what he used to do. Okay, that's that's interesting. I, I guess you could get double-sided tape and do it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, imagine the poor snail there. It sort of crawls along and then gets there and goes, and can't move anymore. But then again, you're yeah. pretty much an advocate for hurting insects. So. Yeah, that's true. So that doesn't seem so bad at all. Um, mulch as well. You can just put mulch around there. Apparently, snails don't like climbing on sugarcane mulch. They don't like the spikiness of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a good thing. I've got some of that as well. Okay. Very handy. You have to get some snails there to, to oh, go yeah. with it. Yeah. Now I've got to buy a bag of snails yeah. so I can use the sugar mulch properly. It is Gardening Tour back on two and you are FM. And Sally Scott, that we are out of time. For I didn't get to speak again. about my French lover, but we can talk about her next week if you'd like. Oh, we've got, well, we've still got a little bit of time <laughs> if, you want, if you want to jump into it. Where's us. all this time coming from? It's like a portal that we've, we've literally got a minute and 10 we've seconds. We've got, oh, no, look, it's not really that exciting. It's just I took a, a trip all the way up to Tamworth on the weekend. Oh, this is your new love of your life. Yes, and I came back with my French love my life, my old Renault 16, which is pretty much exactly as old as I am. (laughs) And she's in not very good condition, but over time we're going to work on her and she's going to be the coolest car in Newcastle. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot wait for these workshops to happen. Just so you're driving around. It's green too. Oh, very good. Yeah, so maybe I could have it like as a corporate car or something like that. Is that just a tax write-off now? It could be, yeah. yeah. I hope the tax man isn't listening to this. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to happen. It is Guarding Talk back on 2NURFM. Scott Sharp, I'll see you again next Monday. Perfect. 2NURFM.